so fun. We're going to take it from Luke, but we're going to talk about how they had to surrender some things in their lives in order to get where Christ wanted them to be. In order to see God's power in their lives, they had to give up some stuff. It's maybe not so much explicit in the text, but we'll see it as we go through that they were really in a tough spot. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray, we're going to work through this, and hopefully you can draw something out for your own life. Let's pray and let's dive in. Father, I thank you for everybody who is here. I thank you, Lord, that you watch over us, that you empower us, Lord, that you strengthen us. I ask, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would triumph in our lives, that when things are tough, when things are difficult, that, Lord, we would trust in you, and that, Lord, we would move through in the grace that you provide. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to take this from Luke chapter 1, and we're going to dive through a little bit. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to take bits and pieces from this chapter, and we're going to tear it apart. Now, now Luke has written, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, keep in mind, when, when this was written, there weren't chapters and verses. We, we add the chapters and verses for clarity, so we can kind of find our, our space when we're reading. But chapters 1 and 2 are actually compare and contrast. Luke is writing this kind of back and forth. So he's writing, here's Elizabeth and Zechariah, and now here's Mary. Then he goes back, okay, here's how John is born, and here's how Christ is born. So he's kind of working back and forth between these two families to show you the differences and how they react and how Christ works through them. Because the reactions are quite different, but as we'll see, that God is still the same, even though the people's responses are a little different. Their backgrounds are different. Their age is different, right? All these things are a little different for them, but Christ is the thing that is over this story who is working out his will in their lives regardless of where they are. So we're going to dive in here. We're actually going to skip, skip ahead. We're going to start in Mary, and then we're going, to go, we're going to go back to Elizabeth. All right, so we're going to start at 36. Luke 1, 36. Oh, keep in mind, I... I read out of the ESV. Uh, you have the NIV if you're here. Uh, I'm, I'm inwardly, I may be outside jovial, but inwardly I'm a curmudgeon. And so I, I find one thing and I, I, I do that one thing. So I'm a one-trick pony. My one trick is the ESV. All right, so please forgive me. Show me some grace and uh, fumble your way through this with me. All right, 36. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, Mary is living in a small rural town. Scholars believe Nazareth was about 400 to 500 people, so it's Mayberry, all right? So just think Barney Fife, Walker off the gun, and a bullet in his pocket, all right? This is where Mary is growing up. She's marrying, she's going to be young, she's going to be in her mid-teens. Most women were married in their mid-teens. The, the males were usually in their early 20s, they're 21, 22. Usually they had enough time to learn a trade. We'll find that Joseph was a carpenter. So basically in their world, he, he does house remodeling. And so he's building cabinets and stuff for the local houses. And so he's a blue-collar guy. He's about to get married to this little teen girl in a small rural town, all right? This is their story. This is their history, and this is where they live. So God comes to a person in a rural town. I think that's important for where we live because oftentimes we think that when we live in Appalachia, there's not a lot of jobs, there's not a lot going on. 
God couldn't use me. And some of the kids get a, a good idea and that they think, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to pick up all my stuff and I'm going to go to a university. I'm going to go to the city where the jobs are because that's, that's where everything's going to happen in my life. And we see immediately in the story of Christ that God chooses to move in a small rural town. He doesn't go to New York. He's not going to Miami. He is finding Sardinia, Ohio, in the middle of Appalachia with small people, nothing happens, finds a blue-collar farm family with a guy who works with his hands, who likes to do carpentry, and he says, that's the guy I'm going to use. I'm going to use her, and I'm going to use him, and they're going to raise my son. And I just think that's important for us to realize that God does the impossible. God can work no matter where you live, no matter what your background is. I don't care if you're poor, wealthy, old, young. If you're living in Sardinia or you're in the big town of Mount Orb, fancy, fancy, with our, with our real big Kroger, right? We're, we're big town. And so, yeah, because we got a McDonald's and a Kroger. Heck yeah, we're, we're moving up. And it's, but we, we, God can use you where you're at. God is not limited to your zip, your, your zip code. He's not, he's not concerned with that. Now let's, let's go back to Elizabeth, because Elizabeth, again, this is compare and contrast. So we're going to jump back. We're going to go back here. We're going to start at verse 5. Verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Ibajah. I don't, these are old words, so we're just, we're just going to wing it. We're going to say it's Ibajah, all right? And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So we get the story of Mary. Mary's not married. Elizabeth is married. Mary's growing up in a small town. Elizabeth is married to a priest. Right, Mary has a, is going to marry a guy who does a blue-collar job. Elizabeth is marrying a white-collar guy. Mary is young. Mary and Joseph are young. Elizabeth and Zechariah are old. We're not given much about Mary's character. We just said that, you know, Mary's here and then, you know, an angel shows up. Elizabeth and Zechariah, we actually get a picture of the type of people they are. It says that they're both righteous and they live upright lives. It's not saying that they're perfect, but they're above reproach. These are nice people. If you see them in the community, you go, oh, that's, those are nice people. We like those people. They're white-collar, nice people, all right? So socialists beware, blue, white-collar people can be nice. <laughs> but here's, here's this thing, is that they have, they're old in years, but they have no kid. Mary is young and fertile. Elizabeth is old and barren. So they have... Serve God faithfully. They have served God righteously. They're well into their age. Zachariah's a priest, but they have no kid. They have kind of shunned or at least been forced out of what they would define as culturally good. They have some, some things because he's a priest. He's, they're well respected, but there's that one thing that they're lacking. They just, they just don't have a kid. They don't have a lot of everything that the culture would say you are successful. And Mary and Joseph has a lot of things they wouldn't say. They're having a kid young, which is good. It's out of wedlock. But he's also a, just a blue-collar guy. I think when we live our life faithfully, we think that somehow we are owed things by God. I live righteously. I'm living upright. 
I'm doing all the right things. I have a good job. People like me. I'm well-respected. Why do I not have a kid? Why do I not experience these things in my life? There's, there's a saying sometimes that goes around where they say, we can hope in one hand and poop in the other and feel, see what fills first. Right? I don't know if you heard that statement. And it's, and it's technically true. I mean, you can hope in one hand and poop in the other. I guarantee your left hand you're going to need to wash in a few minutes. All right? That's how it works. But that doesn't mean that the other hand will not also fill in time. Often the left hand is a Hagar. It's something that we have rushed in our lives and we filled our lives with garbage thinking that's what we need and we have closed the hand of hope. Elizabeth, we'll see in Zechariah, have been hoping, but Zechariah has actually closed his hand. He has given up. He has decided the other hand has filled first, so I'm just going to deal with this, and the hoping hand he has closed. And I hope this morning that you are able to keep both hands open. Maybe wash the other hand, all right? But, but keep your hand open towards God and what God would have you to do. No matter how old you are, no matter what what kind of money you do or don't have that you would hope in God. Because no matter what you think you, your standards are, those go posts are always moving. And what happens in our culture is we are either criticized or we are ostracized. Because often when we live our faith, we think, well, you're, we don't like Christians because look how Christians live. One of the worst, I used to work at Myers. I was well, in my early 20s, which has been like, for some of you, that's been a long time ago. But yeah, for some of you, it was like yesterday, right? But I was working in the deli, and the worst day to work in the deli was on Sundays, because the Christians came in. And I actually remember, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting stuff, and the guy I work with is Terry. Terry kind of slices some bologna, he gives it to the lady, and she's wearing, you can tell she, she went to church, and she grabs it in her hand, and she says, well, this isn't cut right. And she throws it at him across the corner. Smacks him right in the chest. Terry is a Muslim man, and he's starting to figure out why he is a Muslim. And so that becomes an issue in our culture. There is a real issue within the church and how it addresses and treats people. But at the same time, that's not always true. Sometimes you get criticized just for being faithful and righteous. Mary or Elizabeth and Zachariah have the benefit of being above reproach, but they're also living in a culture in which accepts their behavior. As we talk about this text, as we talk about Mary, Mary's going to be faithful to God. She's going to be doing what God has called her to do, but she's going to be having a child. She's going to be pregnant out of wedlock. Elizabeth and Zachariah are doing the right things, and God is using them. Mary and Joseph are about to appear to be doing the wrong things to their culture, and God is using them. There are times in which you will live righteously, and you will follow God, and the culture will hate it, because you are not doing what they say you should do. You're not living how they say you should live. And the standards that we carry are not always the standards of the world, and though there are times in which we should be rightfully criticized for our behavior, there are other times we need to be faithful and keep plotting, no matter how much the culture hates you. And honestly, thinking about this, I, in talking about the women of faith in this scripture, I'm, I'm going to say something somewhat controversial, but I, I think it's true. I miss sexism. It's a lost virtue. If you look at the culture, 
men can be women, women can be men, there's no difference between men and women, and, and all that stuff has been washed out in our culture. And now if you actually take a stance that no, God creates men and women, they are different, they complement each other, and we both play a role in this thing, all of a sudden you're now a sexist. I've been called this several times on social media because I do not follow some of the new movements within our culture. And we'll see within this text, God doesn't hate women. In this text, God elevates women, but he uses them to fulfill a different role than the men. And in the, in the church, no matter how you live within this culture, you're going to be faithful to God. You're going to do what God calls you to do. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you're going to be like Mary and you're going to feel like a fish out of water. I'm being faithful and the culture doesn't like it. But this is where we move on in our text. So we're going to start up again in Luke 1, 29. Luke 1, 29. This is Mary again. This is Mary and Joseph. And so she says her name was Mary. Right? Oh, we'll go back up to verse 28. It says, and the virgin's name was Mary, and, she, he, and he came near to her. This is Gabriel. And he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That, that's a startling, startling, have a guy come out of nowhere and say hi. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angels, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. He will call, be called the Holy and the Son of God. So Mary is young again. She's kind of plodding along, doing her thing. Gabriel comes out of nowhere. Gabriel's a male name. Uh, angels aren't really given genders, so he, he may have some type of male appearance. Which brings into this question, because men didn't fraternize with women publicly. And so now she's talking to this dude who's saying, you're favored by God. And then she, she asks some questions. She says, okay, let's run with this theory. I'm going to be used by God. Fantastic. How? I'm, I'm a virgin. I can't, that, that's not how babies are made here. And so he gives her a response. Sometimes when we're being used by God, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask God to clarify. Some of us get into difficult, painful situations and we, and we just don't know why. You know, we're, we're thinking, you know, I've, I've been praying. I really feel God told me to do this. I, I really feel like I'm going the way God wants me to do. And it's just not working out like I wanted it to. And so why? Why, why is this happening? Why, why is my life this way? And, and we don't always have the, the answers to that. I'm not going to spend the next 15 minutes trying to tell you why. I, I don't know. Some things in your life, you're going to live faithfully for God, and you won't see the results till heaven. I'm, I'm not a prosperity guy. Sometimes life is, is just hard in some areas, and it'll be hard until you die. But Mary, thankfully, gets to see her reward in about nine months. And so that's, that's a good thing. But she asks for clarity. 
Let, let's compare this to Zechariah, because this is, this is actually a really important difference. We're going to jump over to Zechariah, and we're going to start at verse 8. All right. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. A lot was, they didn't have, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit back then. They didn't have that type of discernment. So they actually rolled like a dice, and that, well, that was their lot. And that's how they decided what God wanted them to do. All right, so he gets what appears to be random, but it's not random. And he gets chosen by lot. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel, and the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he felt fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Then we're going to skip down. We're going to jump down here to verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you the good, this good news. And behold, you will be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which he fulfilled in their time. So this, if you're reading this, you're thinking, oh, okay, the guy messed up. This is bad. You move along, Mary doesn't get the same response. And there's, because there's a difference. Mary asks for clarity. Zachariah asks for a sign. And this shows the kind of the humorous irony of God in that they are praying, right? He's a priest, Gabriel's speaking. He asks a sign and Gabriel says, okay, here's a sign, shut up. I just, I just think that that is, that is funny. It reminds, it reminds me of The Rock. Nobody cares what you think. All right, that's kind of, he just interrupts him and says, shut up. That's your sign. You don't get to talk anymore. And this is what we see about Zechariah. Zechariah had closed his hand of hope. He says, I'm old, prove it. How's this going to go down? And there's, here's the difference in these, these two people. Mary is just saying, okay, I believe, I, I'm with you, I'm on board, what do, what do I got to do? What's, what's that thing? Where, where, where are we going with this? Zechariah says, yeah, I'm not going. You, you prove it to me, and then we'll go. We have a young lady who's in her 15s, young teen, who is elevated in Scripture and says, this is how you need to live. We have an older guy who's a priest, who's considered wise, who lives upright life, and the Bible says that's wrong. Anybody who tries to tell you the Bible's hard on women is lying to you. Because here we see an elevation of women in the tearing down of a guy. It's creating this level playing field and saying, look, these are two different people being used by God in a powerful way. They're responding in two different ways for two different purposes. The lady is right and the guy is wrong. There's a difference in how we respond to God. If you want to doubt God, if you want to criticize God, if you're constantly saying, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going there, I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to live there, I'm not going to take that job, prove it. And then we wonder why God doesn't move in our lives. God has silenced us. God has put you in the corner and said, fine, Zachariah, shut up. But I like it that God keeps moving on with his story. 
God keeps moving. Zechariah has a, a lapse of faith. He, he's an upright guy, and as far as we know, he continues to live an upright life. But in this moment, we have a guy who is struggling to believe in God. This is kind of how I brought up in the beginning of the sermon, is that in, in, the, in the farming arena, it, it's, it's very, I'm, I'm a stick in the mud. You may think, oh, Justin tells jokes. Yeah, I do that because I'm nervous. I, in reality, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little curmudgeonly. All right, I'm 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 a little ang- I'm a little cantankerous. All right, <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, as as God has transitioned me in my life, I've had to to deal with that. I've had to deal with the reality that things aren't what I want. So here's here's what happened to us. So I, I my dad gets my dad was terminally ill. He he passed a few years ago, and so I took over the farm. I, I said, well, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm going to farm, and so I started doing it. And doors start opening. We got in with this, it's called the Savory Institute. It's a globally recognized nonprofit that trains farmers in regenerative farming. And these are big farms. Michigan State University is the closest one to me. There's one called White Oak that's got 3,000 acres. It's, it's down in Georgia. I mean, there's, there's some big, big farms in this. And they choose my little 20-acre farm out in Mount Orb, Ohio. I know, I know we're a big city, right? We're bigger than Sardinia, so... But it's still 20 acres. It's, it's this little thing. But they're like, yeah, sure, yeah. And I, I spent some time. I traveled out to Colorado. I did a lot of training. I've, I've met some incredible people. But then my health failed. I'm not able to physically, because uh, another backstory, I hemorrhaged all my brain stem. I had to get some serious brain surgery, too, a couple years ago. And because of it, my body just can't farm like it used to. So I go through this open door. Everything looks great. Everything looks wonderful. And then the roof falls in on my head. And so I've been at a point, I know mom and I have struggled this fall, trying to figure out what this is and why it is. And so I was preparing for this text. I was praying that I'd be more like Mary and less like Zachariah. Because many of you have been in that same mess. Many of you have lived faithfully for God. You've done what you felt you were supposed to do. And it hasn't gone well for you. And like Zechariah, you have done everything you right, but you still haven't had that kid. And I want to tell you that your time is coming, that God will answer your prayer. The question is going, are you going to respond like Mary in faith? Or when it starts to move, are you going to say, no, I've already been here before, God. I've, I've seen this. You do this and it goes bad. I, I know how this works. I'm going to do my thing. You're going to do your thing. I'm not going there. And that's Zachariah's response. Gabriel tells him, your prayer's been answered. And Zachariah goes, prove it. Prove it. I've been doing this for years, man. I've been there, done that, whatever. Do your thing. And because of that, he gets rebuked by God. Now, God still does what he promised he would do because God keeps his word. When we are faithless, he is faithful. That even though that we doubt, God honestly I don't want to say he doesn't care. God cares, but God has his agenda. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to bless Zechariah, whether Zechariah wants it or not, which is a cool thing about God. I'm going to give you faith whether you want it or not. That's always a, a nice thing you want to read in the text. It's not based upon your goodness. It's based because God loves you. And if you doubt him, he's still going to be kind to you. But Zechariah gets the hard word. So I'm going to ask you this morning, because it's surrendered to triumph, I'm going to, I'm going to say, what, what do you need to surrender to God? 
in this moment in your life, when you're, when you're reading Zachariah's life and you're leading Mary's life, what do you, this new year for your life, what, what are you looking at? What, what's kind of going on in your life? What's going on in your soul? What's going on in your faith? What are you praying for? Maybe God has spoke to you and you're, and you're fumbling on it. You don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. I've, I've been here before. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe some of you are like Mary. Maybe you feel God has spoken, you're doing it, and you just need some clarity in your life. Wherever you are, keep in mind that the overarching story of your life is Christ. Zechariah lives a good life, doesn't get a kid, eventually is favored. Mary is this little girl out in nowhere. She gets a kid. She has faith. The whole story of this is God being kind to these people, no matter where they are, to fulfill his purpose and accomplish his goals. So no matter where God finds you this morning, no matter where Christ finds you this morning, he's got a goal. He's going to accomplish it no matter where you are. What you need to do is you need to be like Mary and lean in a little, read your scripture, and get some clarity in your life. Keep moving forward. It's going to be slow. It's going to take some time, and that's okay. All right, you have an eternity. We don't believe in YOLO. Christians believe we live for eternity. You don't live once. You die and you keep going on. All right? So this is going to take time. You have a whole eternity for this to work out in your life. So just lean in, pray, and keep being like Mary. Keep moving forward and keep going where God is leading you. And so this, this is where we find these two. The impossible God about to do something impossible in their lives. So we're going to go down here. We're going to go back to Mary. on to verse 36. And behold, your relationship, yeah, your relative Elizabeth in, in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. Elizabeth is probably her aunt. Uh, it's kind of the way it's written in the original language. It's, you don't really know, but since Elizabeth is, is up in age and Mary is so young, she's probably an aunt, but they are related it said, old age, in the sixth month, it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to the word of the angel, and the angel departed from her. Then we'll jump over. We're going we're to jump around a little bit right here, okay? We're going to go up to 24, all right? Verse 24. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived well, yeah, was yeah, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, This the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked unto me to take away my reproach among people. And then we will jump back down. We're going we're gonna to move around, and we're going to go to right here. We're going to jump over to verse 45. Yeah, I had to find it there real quick. So Mary has gone. She's met Elizabeth. All right, they're, 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 they're chilling in Elizabeth's house. And this is what Elizabeth says. And blessed is, oh, let's go to verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These, these two women have just gone through something beyond normal, Right? They're, they're seeing angels. A, a woman who has no kids is now having kids. You know, this, this young girl's having a child out of wedlock. And it, it's kind of astonishing to them. 
but I like how they respond. They said, nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing. In, in the language, nothing means nothing, right? It doesn't mean anything other than that. That's what it means. So, here's where we go. I've been kind of struggling with how I want to say this. So, hold on. I want, I want to be doctrinally sound as possible when I say this. We, we tend to doubt God, all right? We tend to believe that God is not the God of the impossible. We tend to believe, because what, so we have this command in Scripture that we are to, that Scripture has to match reality, right? If you believe something that doesn't match Scripture, then, then you're in trouble. But Scripture is also an accurate reflection of reality. So, so both are true. That, that the world, everything we experience has to be filtered through Scripture, but at the same time, Scripture has to match reality. Because God doesn't lie. So if you read something, if, if you're reading the Bible and the Bible says the sky is purple, you would have to go, okay, I don't, I don't, I think this is wrong. Because right? I look up and the sky is blue. This says it's purple. So which one do I believe? So scripture does, there's a, there's a tug and a pull. Because God is, God is the God of reality. He's not the God of fiction. That just to kind of add clarity to this, we we often say God can't lie, and, and there's an often a wrong example that people use, and they'll, and they'll say this, they'll say, since God can't lie, if God looks at that stool and says it's a table, poof, it turns into a table because God can't lie. It's not true. The, the doctrine within the church says if that's a stool, God calls it a stool because God can't lie. God, God adheres to reality. He doesn't adjust reality to to fit his perceptions, he, he lives within reality. He says, no, that's a stool. If you call it a table, you're lying, and I can't lie, so that's a stool. All right, so that's, that's the way scripture is. It has to fit reality. So when the, God, when the Bible says God is the God of the impossible, that is reality. That, that is true. The problem often with us is our perceptions of the world around us. We, we perceive that it can't happen. And therefore, we think that is reality. If I'm schizophrenic and I think this is a dragon, all right, and I'm, I'm in the corner crying, that's still a stool. It's my perceptions that are wrong, not the stool. God still says that's a stool, and he says, Justin, your perceptions are wrong. You, you've got issues. That's not a dragon. That's a stool. And so when we look at scripture and it says God is the God of the impossible, we often think, well, I haven't seen that in my life. How is that true? If scripture has to adhere to reality and I haven't seen that, then how can I trust that God is the God of the impossible? And I would say it's because your perceptions are wrong. And, and this kind of, this came to light for me the other night. We were I was talking with a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Don White. He's a friend of Rick and I. Rick's a, another former pastor sitting here. And so Don had gone to Israel and was talking to a guy named Moshe. Moshe was a general in Israel. They, he was one of the few people that helped capture uh, Jerusalem during, in the 1970s. And he was shot dead. He was dead for two days. They dragged his corpse and put it in a room just to leave him there for, until the family could come get him. And he came back to life, two days dead cold, hard as, hard as a rock. 
and he came back to life. And, and Don had asked him, he said, you know, that's, that's crazy. That, that is a miracle. And Moshe said, oh, God, God doesn't do miracles. And, and, and Don said, what are you talking about, Moshe? That's insane. You were, you were certified dead by the, by the medic for two days. He says, yeah, but that's, that's just God being God. God doesn't do miracles. He said, your, your perception is off. To God, that's just what God does. You think it's a miracle. You know, God calls it Tuesday. But, we, but it's, our, it's our perceptions. We look at reality and think it's a dragon. And God says, no. God says, I have to be truthful. And that is a stool. And you can say, well, no, this is impossible. And God says, no, your, your perceptions are off. This is what it is. Mary says, I'm a virgin. God says, no, your, your perceptions are off. You are someone favored by God. That's who you are. And God is going to use you to do something great. What you got to do is calibrate your perceptions. You need some glasses for your eyes. You need some medicine for your soul. You, you, you're not perceiving reality for what it is. You have bought into a lie, and that lie is seeping through your head. And when we read scripture about God being impossible and God doing the impossible, we tend to be like Zechariah, and we shut our hand because we believe our perceptions, and we will not believe reality. Reality is God is the God of the impossible. you got to believe it. You have to embrace that reality. That is true. God cannot lie. And if God is telling you, my word adheres to reality, and reality is God is the God of the impossible, then that is true, that is a stool, and God will answer your prayer. That's true. I don't care what the culture tells you. I don't care what society tells you. I don't care. What I care is about this, and God is the God of the impossible. So hold on. Let me catch my breath. <laughs> this is what we have to hold to. We have different people. We have, as we set up, we have people who the culture doesn't, some are fitting well within the culture, others are not. We have some who are, doing well within their, their religious life and some who are, are just starting it. We, we've got these different mixes of people and all these mixes of people, this, this community that God is building, he is doing and he is working within. He has brought a family together to bless them and to increase them and to do something impossible in their lives. This is the church. We are all from different backgrounds, different ages, different levels of wealth, different genders, we're all these things, and we're coming together for unique roles, unique purposes, all to be used by God. All of it comes together. God is doing the impossible in this family, and he wants to do the impossible in this family. God doesn't change. If God's going to use them, he's going to use you. And if God is blessing them, regardless of whether they had faith or no faith, or old or young, white, you know, rich or poor, white-collar, blue-collar... That, that meant nothing to God in this story. Gabriel shows up and says, God's going to do this. Get ready for it. And that's, that's just the reality. That is true. So when you come to Christianity, you're not coming here for moral improvement. I'm not here to make you a nice person. To be honest, some of us aren't very nice. All right? But that honestly is not the goal of Christianity. That is a byproduct of Christianity. I mean, we eventually become nicer. 
hopefully, right? I'm praying for my curmudgeon soul. I hope you're praying for yours. I got an 80-year-old man who shakes his stick and, get on my lawn. Let's, let, let's, he's down in there. <laughs> yeah, and he wants his Metamucil. He's just, he's cantankerous. Gives him some balance in life. <laughs> but, but that is what we are here. We are, we are something greater than our, than our individual parts. We are, we are a, a communal life. There's, there, there's a scripture where he says if, if you lose your house, God will give you a hundredfold. It's not saying that God's going to give you a hundred houses. He's saying that if you lose your family coming to Christianity, look around you and look how many other houses and families you have in here. If you don't have a bed to sleep on tonight, let us know because look how many beds are in this room tonight. If you don't have a house, if you're homeless and you're within the faith, look, in the ho- look how many houses are in here right now. You've, you've lost one house, you've lost one family, but when you come in here, you pick up a hundredfold. He is... He's building something that's bigger than its parts. Because God is the God of the impossible. So this, so this morning when you're, when you're coming to the faith, if you're, if you're in this room this morning, I, I want to encourage you to, to believe that God is doing something greater in your life than what it looks like now. You may have lost your home. You may have lost everything. The, the culture may not like you. You may be stumbling. You may be doubting. You may be spending a lot of nights crying. I don't, I don't know where your faith is. But here in the scripture we see that when you come to Christ, you embrace something that's impossible. You embrace something that's abundant. You come to something that overflows into your life. And some of you are like Elizabeth and Zachariah this morning. You've been waiting a long time. You've been at this a while. But I want to tell you God is going to be with you. He will answer your prayer. If you come to Christ, he will, he will be with you. He'll strengthen you. Some of you are like Mary. Some of, some of you are very young and you're, and you're seeing great things in your life. And, and I'm thankful for that. But the point is not to look at yourself, but it's to thank God who's over this grand story, who is encouraging you, who's pouring into your life right now, who's doing impossible things. You know, other people are waiting, and, but you're experiencing abundance, but you need to turn your eyes to Christ. Turn your eyes to God, who does the impossible, who strengthens our lives. And that's what we surrender to. Uh, I forgot to give this definition, but I want to give it now. I want to give it now. When we, when we think about the word surrender, we often think of the French. Can we be honest here? When we think, when we think surrender, we think of the white flag. Right? Just because I said surrender, the French have now surrendered to me, and I'm now the king of France. All right? All hail the king of France. His name is Justin. All right? that's, that's what we think of. Right? surrender is the French, and I, I don't want to do that. I don't, wave, I don't want to wave the white flag. But Christianity never calls us to that type of surrender. That's called cowardice, and the Bible rebukes that. There's another definition, though, that says to give your life to a higher power, to give your life to, to surrender to something greater. Uh, let's think of it this way, because we're in country, and a lot of us know people are in the military. When you join the military, you, you, it's an act of surrender. You're giving your life to a higher power, and that higher power is going to keep you alive. That's their job. Their job is to teach you to kill these people and you come out alive. George Patton says, you don't die for your country, you get the other dumb fool to die for his. Right? That's, that's what it, how it works. You are surrendering to someone who has a higher power, who has a higher authority, who's there to help you and who's there to support you. So this morning when we, as we close, I want you to think about it in your life. Are you going to surrender to a higher power or have you surrendered as in giving up? Have you just walked away? Or this morning, will you, 
surrender to the higher power, we surrender to Christ and allow him to do something great in your life. Let's close out and we'll pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you encourage us and that you support us. I thank you, Lord, that you do great things in our lives. We may not always see it. We may not always believe it. Lord, I thank you that you are at work. You are watching over us. You are bringing us to yourself. And that, Lord, you will accomplish all that you have done. Lord, you do only that is good. And you will do good for us, in us, and through us. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you, Lord, for Christ this holiday season, the coming of our Messiah who would empower us and save us and bring us closer to you. And I ask you, Lord, that we would walk in that, that we would believe it, and that we would follow it to the end. In Christ's name, amen.